Hi everybody, this is Shane with Arc Dream Publishing. I'm really excited to present the Session Zero episode of our new Swords and Sorceries campaign that I'm recording with, uh, with a bunch of friends of ours. I'm less excited to admit that my audio quality in this opening episode is garbage. I mean, just garbage. I uh, used, a, used a, the, the wrong microphone altogether and did not realize what a drastic difference it was going to make until we had totally wrapped things up and started editing the audio and the video together. But we've got lots of awesome scares ahead of you and adventures ahead for you in uh, in this campaign. We're going to be starting with the Sea Demon's Gold, which is a first level adventure that I wrote for 5th Edition Dungeons and Dragons in the Swords and Sorceries line. and it's uh, it's good and scary and dangerous and it's kind of optimized for the all the vulnerability that first level fifth edition characters begin with and then we'll take it from there into other adventures in the series the song of the sun queens at second level the uh, tomb of fire at third level and then uh, a number of adventures that I've written and playtested but that we haven't published yet and that uh, that I hope that we'll be able to see soon coming out in the series. So thanks again, and enjoy Session Zero. This is Shane Ivey, and I'm with Arcstream Publishing, and I have the, the great pleasure of starting a D&D 5th Edition campaign with uh, my friends Mark Finn and Chris Ivey and Megan Tolentino and Acer Tolentino. And we're going to be running adventures that I've written for a series called Swords and Sorceries. We'll talk about that a little bit later. So uh, let's, how about we do some introductions for everybody so we all know kind of who we all are and, um, and whether we've got any foibles that are going to make our heads explode again. <laughs> so um, let's see. How about Mark? You go first. Uh, hey everybody, my name is Mark Finn. I am a writer and uh, an editor and uh, I wear a lot of different hats. Uh, if anybody uh, in the group uh, knows me at all, it's probably from my uh, work in Robert E. Howard studies. I'm the guy that wrote Blood and Thunder, The Life and Art of Robert E. Howard. And um, I am uh, also uh, a uh, longtime uh, game uh player and reader and uh, a very indolent designer. Uh, and I just launched a Kickstarter for a zine that I'm working on called uh, Monty Hall. Uh, so there you go. Hey, tell us, Mark, before we move on, tell people what's what's the Monty Hall zine for? Like, what's it about? What's, it, what's, what's the, what's the uh, selling point on that? Last Why should year, we invest in you, Mark? Very good. Last year, uh, Kickstarter wanted to do a thing for February called Zine Quest, celebrating the old school uh, zine people from the 70s and 80s that sort of kept the nascent role-playing game industry going uh, with content and, you know, regular discussions that... Uh, uh, moved everything forward when nobody was really connected. This was pre-internet and all that good stuff. So uh, it was it was very successful. It was the whole idea was a low-tech campaign, make a zine. It's got to be saddle stitched and all this kind of stuff. And I just thought it was lovely, but I couldn't do it last year because I was recovering from surgery. So uh, this year I said, you know, I am good to go. And um, Monty Hall is 
my uh, fifth edition content that I have pulled and massaged out of all of my old Dungeons and Dragons campaigns over the years. So I updated a lot of stuff since uh, fifth edition is pretty flexible. And, uh, and along the way, I found some, uh, some new character concepts and archetypes and backgrounds. And uh, some of the really great things about fifth edition is how flexible and open-ended that stuff is. And so Monty Hall is a collection of that uh, in zine form, uh, short uh, rule uh, options and uh, character uh, tools. And uh, in some cases, some optional rules you can do for running. Uh, the thing I'm most excited to get to is heists. I've got a I've got a system that lets you run heists, uh, a la Thieves Guild, uh, Thieves World, uh, Fawford and Gray Mouser style stuff. That's going to be in there, and, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm publishing. Them. Yeah, I'm really I'm really excited about it. It's got a kind of an '80s sword and sorcery vibe to it. If you remember all that stuff that was out in the '80s, it was really this great uh, minefield of awesome books. Uh, Tolkien clones and everything. And uh, that was where I drew a lot of inspiration for that stuff initially. And uh, dusting it off, it works great in fifth edition. So, all right, very cool. Yeah. And that's Monty Hall. That's Monty with a Y. So, Mon yes, Mon who eventually type E at the end for Monty, <laughs> Monty Hall. Monty H A U L. And, and of <laughs> course, the name is a reference to an, uh, one of the original gamer terms that we used to do. I don't even know if it's even in use anymore, but I just, I really liked it. It sure beat calling it 10 foot pole. You know, it was either that or 10 foot pole. I thought Monty Hall sounded cool. Less, less actionable, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so I'm moving to the right on my uh, my list of players on uh, on roll twenty here, and uh, Chris, introduce yourself to everybody. I'm Chris Bivey. I'm a writer, game developer, and CEO of Darkerhu Studios. We're probably mostly known for the out sort of step on my own little. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, I'll uh, give myself a little brag here, saying the three three-time gold any award-winning Harlem Unbound. I'm recently ran an incredibly successful Kickstarter for an alternate West game called Haunted West. And I'm excited to play D&D for the first time in a decade. Awesome. Yeah. So that, so, and uh, the, uh, the three-time any award thing, congratulations again. I was really excited to see that happen. And, uh, you know, and it's, and, and I'll say, I'll say as having one, an awful lot of those things. It's it's cute to see the new kids get excited about them. <laughs> <laughs> <Thanks>, Pop. <laughs> All right, and uh, let's see. So so you're focusing right now on on Haunted West, right? Yeah, it's a alternate history weird west game, and it's sort of a, a layered concept. It's you have a weird west role playing game that you could play without the alternate history, or you could layer the alternate history on top of it. Which for us, we went for an alternate history where both Lincoln and Johnson were assassinated, and that gives us a chance to change the entire course of the world during the during the Reconstruction period. Oh. and what does that do for gameplay? Like, how how, how does your how does Haunted West? You know, uh, how does it differ from sort of what people would expect as a traditional Western, either in the genre or the or as role playing games? One of the primary focus of the game is highlighting the forgotten voices of the West, because if you go and look at Hollywood and everywhere else, the West is incredibly whitewashed and the real historical West was 
full of diverse people from all sorts of backgrounds, countries, religions, and everything else. And one of the things that we're trying to do is make sure all of those different voices get acknowledged and seen. Yeah, that's great. I, I love it. I'm I'm really excited to see uh, see the shape it takes. And um and yeah, that that's a subject I could talk about for hours with you. So let's don't do that because that's a whole other. Thing. <laughs> it's time uh, at the bar. <laughs> that's right. So uh, so Megan and Azer, you're next on the list, and I I give you I say it together because you're both on the same uh, the same little window thingy that I'm looking <laughs> at here. So so let's uh, so let's have have you introduce yourselves, please. Uh, it's not just a coincidence that we have the same uh, uncommon last name. We are married. We run a couple of podcasts together, mostly, uh, well, only actual play podcasts. We do interviews with people sometimes, but mostly actual play, where we play um, pretty much anything that catches our interest. So The Redacted Files is our main show, which has been going for five and a half years now. Uh, we play a lot of uh, Delta Green and Call of Cthulhu, and then um, a bunch of other less uh, investigative games. And we've also branched off. So the Amber Clave is our Numenera podcast, and we've streamed Tachyon Squadron as a show, and we recently readopted Firefly podcast. That's all of them, right? I think that's everything. <laughs> and uh, all right. On a yearly basis, we bother Shane at uh, Gen Con and uh, run Delta Green. Uh, can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. So, um, and that, and your main website is uh, theredactedfiles.com. Is that right? Yes. Okay, very cool. Okay, so let's get into let's get into the game and start talking about that. So the um, the the we're using fifth edition for the rules, and with some tweaks here and there because uh because i'm i'm i don't know i don't i don't know if addict is the right word or compulsive or whatever but i don't think i've ever run a role-playing game straight out of the box without without monkeying <laughs> with it so um so it'll have a few tweaks here and there but, but they're not all that dramatic uh the big the big the big departure for the swords and sorceries adventures from traditional D has more to do with the setting and the way that the way that the world looks and works around everyone. Uh, instead, of, it's not instead of being kind of a medieval setting or high fantasy or Forgotten Realms esque or Tolkien esque. Um, it's it's very deliberately set in the ancient world and uh, and even more ancient than usual ancient world. So I'm I'm my my touchstones for uh, the swords and sorceries adventures and settings is like. Um, I don't know the the Iron late Iron Age, like 700 BC or so, where um, where the, uh, the ancient the the classical Greece has not really arisen. Um, the the Mechanians, the sort of the ancestors of what everybody knows as the Greeks, were out there, but Alexander hadn't gone around conquering everything. Rome hadn't arisen and and, and uh, invented legions to uh, make the uh, make the hoary old phalanx obsolete. And so the world kind of looks and feels very different from, from what you're used to. But this is a fictional world. And so, uh, and the joy of that is then if I decide I want to put a legion in, the, in there or, 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 or change up some of the details, then I'm gonna do it by gum and nobody can stop me. <laughs> so the, uh, and, and that kind of informs the way that characters look 
and the way that the uh, the different classes and character races uh, look in the game and in, and how they interact with the setting and the cultures of the setting. Uh, the, so and uh, and magic, you know, I kind of encourage. Uh, I actually have a, a subset of rules that are optional, but it's there for the players to use. For example, if you're playing a magic user, um, where I wrote up a bunch of sample uh, ways to gain inspiration as a spellcaster by describing how you get your magic back, how you get your power back. And usually it has to do with, you know, interacting with uh, with weird spirits out in the world and doing sacrifices and things. Uh, it's so it doesn't feel like just superpowers, and uh, and then the the non-human races like elves and dwarves and everything they're all they're in there, um, but they have their own strange kind of idiosyncrasies. Idiosyncrasies, I think that's the word. And um, but yeah, we can talk about those a little bit uh, further as we go. But the main thing to think to sort of get in your head is that the core of the setting when we start off is in a region called the Sea of Storms, which is kind of analogous to the Mediterranean. And uh, your, the, 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 pre the predominant culture, human culture in the region and in in, around the Sea of Storms is, was formerly this long lived kind of brutal empire called the Zirin Empire, which was overthrown a few generations back by uh, another empire, I mean, it doesn't call itself an empire, but that's what it is, uh, from from way out in the east in the very dry deserty land called the Samaran Kingdoms. And since then, the Samarans have not really done a great job of ruling things or keeping things calm. And so you've got the, you've got, uh, you've got this sort of large swaths of the country, of the country that, uh, have ruins that are haunted where you know there used to be kind of an iron fist keeping everything down and there's not anymore and nothing has really come in to replace it and so you've got a lot of regions that are just ripe for exploration and adventure and danger and ways for uh up-and-coming adventurers to uh to make their mark so having said all that um, I think some of, we've said that some of the some of our players here are real familiar with fifth edition and some are not, right? So, um, so let's see. Where should we? I guess where should we start? I guess talking about the, does everybody have access to a player's handbook first of all? Because that'll make uh, that'll make it easier to <laughs> compare notes. Yes. Yeah. I have a PHB. Okay. Very good. So, um, so yeah, so making up a character uh, in fifth edition, we have in Roll20, we have character sheets and the Roll20 character sheets for fifth edition are pretty cool because once you fill it out uh, uh, properly, then it automates a lot of elements. Uh, so for example, if you want to uh, say that your sheet should have an explorer's pack, there's an there's a compendium you can call up and just drag the explorer's pack over to your sheet and it puts it in there. You know, if you say you want to, you should have a, a long sword. You just drag the long sword over from the compendium, and it puts it in your equipment and it tells you how much it weighs and it put, tells how much damage it does and and all of that, which right. reduces the amount of fiddliness that you have to do, and it also speeds things up in play. 
So, um, so let's talk a little bit about characters and the the, the way that they're going to relate to each other. I, I, I envisioned I envisioned setting this up where your characters are uh, are part of a part of a ship's crew on this like merchant ship that looks like an old Phoenician uh, uh, sailing ship uh, and rowing ship. And that's what kind of binds you together as we kick things off. And that'll also give us an easy excuse to have you traveling all over the place and, and showing up in new, new locations. So let's, so uh, I don't know, let's talk about that. And who, who has, uh, Mark, do you have a character in mind already? Uh, I yeah. Think was, yeah, yeah go ahead. I, I do. I, um, uh, for my sins, I love playing rogues. Uh, it's the uh, Conan Gray Mouser in me. Um, and uh, I got to tell you, I'm really interested in taking your Blade Sharp uh, uh, archetype for a spin. So I think I want to I think I want to just go ahead and, and be a rogue in this particular setup. Um, yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah. If you do that, I, I would I would love to see that, too, because. The more play testing, the merrier, you know. And uh, when you're doing subclasses and that kind of thing, and that, and that's exactly why I built that subclass for the for this setting was to to sort of fill what felt like a a gap in the games I've played. Well, consider okay, so me your Huckleberry. A, say that again. Consider me your Huckleberry. Oh, very good. All right. Uh, okay, and uh, let's see, uh, Chris. What about you? I've got an idea that's sort of a, I guess, a Witcher Hymdal sort of thing going on. That'll either be primarily a revised ranger or, pal or paladin with a little dip into rope, uh, little dip into war warlock. Oh, okay. So you're already thinking, thinking long term. Yeah, very cool. All right, and uh, let's see, Megan. And uh, Megan, what do you think? Do you have what do you have um, in mind, if anything? I always played Dwarven Clerics when I played D&D, so I think I'm going to stick with that. Um, okay. <laughs> and I really liked the look of the summoning domain. Oh, cool. Yeah, that would be interesting to see that one in play, too. That's another one I did from scratch for, uh, for, the, for this setting. Okay. And uh, Acer, what are, you, what are you thinking? Well, I'm generally usually a fighter, and, you know, the uh, the Phalanx is uh, going to uh, rule the day forever, and uh, <laughs> I, I'm very confident in its uh, longevity. Uh, mm -hmm. so we're we're going to go with a shield bearer and see what happens. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah. No. So certainly, yeah, no uh, just encourage encourage your generals to uh, to uh, to put stuff on the flanks, for God's sakes. <laughs> Otherwise, those spears are all just pointing in one direction, and then what are you going to do? <laughs> Uh, okay, so so making up the characters, right? If you can call up a, a character, the character sheets on roll twenty, each of you has a, a player character sheet assigned. They don't have any art, they don't have names, they don't have anything. But if you call it up, then you can click on that in order to start filling it out, and it'll give you options for. Do you want to use the character mancer, which is their built-in system um, to, that kind of automates it to a large extent, or do you want to fill it out by hand? The the downside of the character mancer is, is if I remember right, the last time I used it, it uh, only includes 
elements that are in the 5e open game license the system re reference document so in, in, it, it, there are lots of feats for example that are in the player's handbook that aren't available through that so you can use it to get part of the way and then if you want to customize it further you have to do that more proactively uh, or you can just call up a blank sheet and say i'm gonna i'm gonna do it myself but yeah. that's the place to start and then for stats i think you can use the uh um like in the player's handbook there's the the the, the point by system is is fine or just pick from one of those charts on page uh, whatever it is, one of the early pages. Uh, standard um, array. Yeah, one of the standard the standard array. Uh, it's on page what is it? Thirteen is that what I'm looking at? My eyeballs are not great. Um, or if you want to roll dice like a like a champion, you're welcome to roll dice for your ability scores. I uh, I'm a, I'm a traditionalist. I want to roll some dice. Okay, so the uh, yeah the standard array is 15, 14, 13, 12, 10, and eight, and then uh, otherwise you can use the the point scores to 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 line things up where you want. Or if you want to roll for it, then each of it roll four d six, take the best three, and do that six times and put those where you want them. And do you know how to roll dice in roll twenty? Everybody done I think so. Yeah, there right. you go. Right. Cool. I'm going in fact I'm gonna go ahead and type out in quotation marks the well that well actually if you're in roll if you look at the roll twenty screen, it'll tell yeah. you the instructions. You just type a little slash roll space four D six or whatever it is that you're wanting to do. It's crazy. All right, so uh, well, mine basically uh, 11, 12, 13, or 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. So All right, well done. A little bit better than the standard array, but, uh, you know. Okay. Uh, well, it was random-ish. We all saw it. As random as the the computers can get in there. <laughs> there you go. So with so looking at Mark's scores, um, you said you were want you're interested in doing a rogue and you want to do the the blade sharp uh, subclass eventually, which is uh, sort of a fighty rogue. But rogues of all kinds desperately need dexterity more than anything else. And that mean, and they also, you know, they're very skill oriented, which means you usually benefit from your charisma or intelligence or wisdom being pretty good. All, and, and they don't have any hit points, so you don't want your constitution to, which means that like, you know, 90% of the rogues in the D&D sphere um, have strength as their crummiest stat, right? Because you can just use, use a, a finesse weapon like a, a rapier or some something equivalent to that as your as your main thing so you can kind of use that as uh as your guide as to where you want to put the put the scores and also you want to use what uh what race of character you're playing right because some of the <coughs> like some of the races will give you a bonus you know you might get a plus one bonus to your that you can apply to, to your dexterity or whatever if you're playing an elf. 
Uh, or if you're playing a human, then you have an option of either plus one across the board to every score or plus one to any each of any two scores. And you start with an additional feat and I think an additional skill. We can look that up if we need to. I like being a human because uh, I know how best to play that. <clears throat> so that's going to be what I play and I'm going to look here and see uh, what works in forever since I've looked at the human things. Yeah, the, the variant for humans is two ability scores get plus one and then you get proficiency and a, an extra skill and you get an extra feat of your choice. That's so going to definitely make me that's going to definitely oh, make gonna, me heroic out of the gate. So, uh, I'm sorry, say that again. I interrupted you. That's going to definitely make me more heroic out of the gate. So, since I I think I'm going to be the only guy with skills in the party, uh, I want to I want to be as useful as I can be in that regard. All right. So you can start putting down your uh, putting your putting your stats where they go and. Put the bonuses where they're going to go. And uh, Chris, have you uh, have you been looking it over? I've been listening. I'm still torn between having the core of the character be a revised ranger or a paladin. Uh, yeah, sure. So, well, you know, can you can you characterize what what you want what you want uh, him or her, you know, how whatever to sort of feel like in the in action you know what i mean envisioning almost more of a a rugged-esque monster hunter that has a little sherlockian twist to it that can do a little magic so it has like a a bag of tricks to pull out but primarily depending on wits and fighting capability yeah so so far to me that sounds a little more rangery than paladin-y um because rangers have more skill, more skills to draw, skill proficiencies to draw on, and that means that they have the flexibility of, you know, being sneaky if they need to, tricky if they need to, depending on how you build it. Um, you can, you have the chance to do that with the, do some of that with a paladin, but their skill access is a little lower, right? So you'd yeah. have to make, you'd have to pick your background really carefully. Um, if you wanted to be a sneaky paladin, for instance, your options are kind of slim. Um, you'd have to make sure that you pick like the, I don't know, the criminal background or whichever, or maybe urchin starts with stealth. And so that'll, that'll certainly help shape and define the character, but it, but it, you know, but, uh, because paladins don't have as many skills, they have more access to magic, right? So they have sort of built-in abilities to detect in otherworldly evils around them. And then their, you know, their their spells are different as well. So the so paladins, as soon as you hit, I, I don't know if it's second or third level, right? You're you're able to start casting paladin spells, which are generally cleric, you know, like cleric spells in nature. But they have some of their own custom stuff as well. That's generally about stabbing evil things to death with magic. And I know the, the other rangers, part of what what's that? I was saying. I just knew the other part of it is I want to take like a a three level dip into warlock and become a hex blade and add that sort of versatility into whichever character I run with. 
Oh, okay. And so let so let's think this through. Warlocks. Uh, remind me. Do, do you remember? Have you looked at it recently? Like what what uh, what ability? What abilities do warlocks most rely on? Most of their stuff comes off of charisma, and they've got some nice little magic tricks and like a hex blast and some other things. Yeah, so the charisma thing is is interesting because paladins heavily rely on charisma too. So if you wanted to sort of get the most efficiencies going, then that may be that would probably be your best bet if you're choosing between paladin or ranger or fighter. You already know that you're going to want your charisma as a paladin to to not be terrible. Um, because there are certain paladin abilities that need charisma. That's about as far as most of my, my thoughts have gone so far. I'm, I'm torn between two very similar, but two very different characters all at once. Yeah. So I would say just sort of look through like the, you know, I mean, you, you probably have a pretty good sense already of what a paladin looks like, at the, you know, in the fiction, right? And what a ranger is going to look like in the fiction. And so you can kind of, start mulling through that. Megan, what do you say? You said dwarf cleric. So you're already, you're already pretty well squared away. There's none of this existential angst going on for you, is there? <laughs> <laughs> or Aether, are you there? Sorry, we muted. Um, yes, I am mostly squared away. Uh, I had a question about domain spells. I don't remember if I get those automatically, or if they're just added to my list of spells I can choose from. Right. So, essentially, and I'll correct myself if I'm if I if I tell you this wrong, but uh, the do a domain spell is available to you. Like, I, if, uh, I'll I'll I'm going to read it through and make sure I'm not I'm not being dumb. But if I remember right, a domain spell is always available. Mm -hmm. Right. So it doesn't count against the number of spells you can prepare it's always considered prepared, right? So you always, among, among your prepared spells, if you have the knowledge domain, for instance, it's first level cleric spells or command and identify. So you would always have those two among your, uh, in addition to the spells that you choose as prepared. Okay. So as a, star, as a first level cleric, you can, uh, you prepare a number of spells equal to your wisdom modifier plus your cleric level. And so if your wisdom is 16, let's say, then that's a plus three modifier and you're a first level cleric. So you're going to be able to prepare four spells plus the two from your domain. And then as a first level cleric, each day, each, you know, but between each long rest, you can cast two first level spells. So you, that, that means that you'll have that list of six available and then you can cast two of those along the way. Uh, my other question was related to the gods, since especially as a cleric, they're involved in my life. Is there a region I should be picking gods from as a dwarf, or are dwarves sort of everywhere? Because it seems like not everyone has seen them before. So the the short answer is it's pretty much up to you, right? If you see if you see one of the cultures that's described in the handouts, did I give you? Yeah, the about the broken empire handout. Yeah. If you scroll, yeah, if you scroll through that, and there's one of those cultures and pantheons that particularly appeals to you, then what do you know? There's dwarves there. All right, perfect. Now I'm gonna have to choose though. So. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay, you get you get some angst after all. Acer, how about you? Uh, I think I'm good. 
So what? So what have you? Uh, what have you? What have you settled on? Again, how am I looking? Uh, I needed to figure out where you wanted to put your ability points. Oh, okay. Um, strength. Strength is always good. <laughs> All right. Let's start with strength. You get. If I'm going with the array, it's 15, 14, 13, 12, 10, 8. Strength, dexterity, wisdom, charisma. Not constitution. Oh, yeah. I guess constitution, charisma. All right. And I won't be very smart. <laughs> I think we'll have to manually do the backgrounds because the only one in here is Acolyte. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that uh, those OGL restrictions I was... Yeah. <laughs> what uh what uh what race um are you looking at, Acer? Do you know? Uh boring human. Well you don't have to be boring. We're not all boring. <laughs> I mean most of us are, but not all Oh, I'm 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 boring. Actually I'm taking that as a background. Boring. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, well again with the human, you have the option. Either plus one across the board with all your abilities. Or if you want to specialize in two abilities, then you can get an extra skill and an extra feat. I am going with variant human, by the way. I didn't. I, I wanted to make sure that uh, I, you heard me say that. So. Oh yeah, that's cool. Okay, yeah, just just sort of jot everything down. Yeah, um, uh, I'm making notes yeah. on the sheet where appropriate. Right, and you'll you'll get you'll get skills from your character's background, as that's... well as from the class. Which means the bonus skill that you're getting from a, the variant human, you probably want to wait till last to decide what that's going to be, because that can be any of them. I am, I am kind of looking ahead to the feet, though. So, oh well, there Duh, that's going to be that. Where, where did I put it? There's the. Uh, I thought I put the link in one of the handouts here. That there was a um, there's a there's a website that I particularly like where the the author of the site just did has been doing insanely deep dives into the mechanics and the mathematics of the different classes and feats that are available. Oh, it looks like uh, Chris just posted that in the discord chat window. So that if you call it, in the best of ways, uh, I could be looking at that right now. Yeah. So, so like if you're, since you're going to have a feat to choose from out of the gate as a variant human, then that'll give you a good idea of, of which ones are most valuable from a mechanical standpoint. Uh, because Megan was talking about the summoning domain, I called that up on rule 20. So I'm kind of scrolling along that, um, refreshing my memory as to how I built that. I, I put that together, that domain together um, to represent sort of a, uh, a kind of uh, religion, a kind of folklore, the mythology from the ancient world, especially that was really, really prevalent, but that you don't see much in the games, which is uh, the you know like the crossroads gods, the gods that they're all about magic and allowing the the magician to a magician or a priest to make contact with the other world, yeah. and uh, you know. Um, and there are whole whole long branches of mysticism that were devoted to that. Um, and it's not in D and D terms, it doesn't really feel like wizardry, right? It doesn't feel like a warlock thing or a sorcerer thing. It feels like, you know, priests, like full time clerics, but that's what their gods are devoted to. Right. And uh, so the so so it adds some spells that feel a little more wizardy uh, to the clerics repertoire 
and they gain some arcana knowledge, but they're still fundamentally clerics. But they're they're sort of their bent is towards um, towards those uh, magical and summoning things. Uh, the the great thing about fifth edition is that it really is kind of D and D's greatest hits. But one of the things that uh, I just never really warmed to uh, as an early player was the Forgotten Realms. And unfortunately, everything kind of takes place in the Forgotten Realms. So, you know, I mean, literally within 10 minutes of opening up the first fifth edition book that I bought, I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> you know. And so uh, with that, you know, when you when you take out their setting, all of a sudden it opens up all these great possibilities for, you know, alternate ways of interpreting, you know, cosmology and stuff like that. So I totally agree. What, one thing I was, I really enjoyed when the player's handbook came out was that the, uh, the art, the, the illustrations didn't, they, they deliberately did not try to make the illustrations one coherent setting. Like they, they didn't seem to be trying to evoke a particular world. Um, you know, you, they could be right, but you have a lot of the images that look like they're in some new place altogether, which is, which is brilliant and exactly what I, what I would have wanted them to do. Um, because yeah, that frees you up to, you know, if you, if you want to play in the forgotten realms, um, I mean, it was, it was, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's certainly a D and D world, right? It, it, it has every ingredient that you can want and decades of development behind it. The things I've loved most about the game and uh, other games, other role-playing games, is the amount of creativity that it facilitates. Right. So, yeah. so developing the developing the broken empire setting that I, that I started working on when I I knew I wanted it. You know, I mean, I, I was I was mostly inspired by just amateur linguistic studies. You know, and um, sure. looking at the roots of the of um, the European cultures and languages and the ways that the, um, the European and Mediterranean and uh, Indian and uh, Asian cultures are so interconnected going way back into the, into the ancient past. Like that just started my imagination going 90 to nothing the more I was reading. And, uh, and yeah, and D&D &D still does a great job of letting you evoke that. Yeah, that was uh, probably the other smart thing that I saw that the uh, fifth edition did in the back. It basically said, we're using the forgotten realms, but here's all of the other stuff we've ever done. And you could of course make up your own thing. You know, I mean, yeah, exactly. And as, as old crusty uh, gamers that we are Shane, you know, we know we don't need permission to do that, but it was nice that they gave it to us anyways. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, the, you know, I mean, fifth edition has done a great job of bringing, new players into the hobby and you know new players need to hear that just like uh just like i did when i was a kid you know when That's i right. started picking these things up um so that you know otherwise you can kind of assume or, or you, you know you, you see how it's played and it's easy to assume oh that's how it's played and no other way and then when people suggest doing something else then then it gets weird and so highlighting encouraging that kind of creativity is exactly what it, what it, what it needed to do. And it worked. Back 
in the day for us, that was Dragon Magazine, right? You know, where every month they were bending and breaking and uh, publishing alternate stuff. And, uh, you know, the one of the things about not having an internet and not having all these different media channels was that uh, what was out there was, you know, we all, we all gravitated on it. We were all reading the same magazine. And so, um, uh, so yeah, it was nice. It was, it was nice to have um, permission to do that. And in, in, even in a semi uh, formal capacity like dragon or different worlds or stuff like that. And, uh, so yeah, I've been, uh, th this is, you know, I've approached every game since then with the, with the idea of, Oh, I don't like that rule. We're going to do something different, you know? So it's good. It's really good. And, and of course, um, the, I, they wisely figured out 20 years ago that, uh, they're much better off encouraging this and letting people, do what they want with it, uh, with their, you know, indulgent permission than trying to stamp it all out. I, I, th I think that, that opening up with the open game license was the smartest thing they ever did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, opinion in, inside the industry opinions on that can, uh, vary widely. Um, I, I happen to agree with you, but it also took, you know, it, it, uh, yeah, it that that's a whole other that's a whole other discussion that would <laughs> it's a separate <laughs> <laughs> trail. <laughs> but uh, okay, so let's see, uh, Chris, how how's it how's it coming with you? Have you settled on uh, settled on your uh, on yourself? Oh, at least for this call, I've decided we're going to go with the paladin. All right, and so long term, you figure the... a paladin for a level or two, and then uh, and then take on a patron and live as a warlock for a while is that right is that what you're thinking right now i'm thinking something like maybe the first level paladin first maybe one or two levels paladin then three levels of warlock and then coming back to paladin and running that for the rest of the time right yeah the um oh it's, i was saying i think i said earlier that the uh, with multi-classing the the one the one drawback for me with multi-classing has with fifth edition has always been i, I tend to play fighter types either a fighter or a barbarian or whatever and um, the what you what you lose in multi-classing with one of the martial classes is that magical extra attack class ability at fifth at fifth level. Um, uh. if, you, if you stay as a fighter or as a paladin or whatever until fifth level, then you you get that. But if you switch up, right, and then if you even if you come back to it, right, so you do two levels as a fighter and then four levels as uh, you know, as a cleric and then come back to fighter, it's not till you hit fifth level as fighter, right? That you, that you get that extra attack ability, which that's not the end of the world, but it's such a, it's such a huge bonus and a huge, uh, especially as characters are leveling up. Well, as, that, as a GM, if you're that. specifically highlighting that point, I think it's a huge bonus. <laughs> oh well, I don't, yeah. I, I just want to make clear that it's... like it it irked the hell out of me, you know, because uh, I mean my favorite long long term character was a was a barbarian I was playing, and so when we were playing the campaign, I had in mind um, early on, sort of dipping out and picking up a, a different class, you know, because the uh, of of one kind or another, uh, maybe even picking up some fighter abilities, uh, but but uh, but I wanted that extra attack. Damn it. 
And so I wound <laughs> up just staying put. Like, I really enjoy playing usually jack of all trades that count more in ingenuity to figure out problems. And so I wanted to try something a little different. For instance, when I sure, played, yeah. played 3-5, my favorite class was a Factotum. What, what's that like? I don't remember that. That's basically the class that lets you do a little bit of everything, but you have a certain number of points that you can spend in it today. Like you could do alchemy, potentially fight like a fighter. You could pull out some magical tricks, but it's a very finite number that you could do a day. Oh, that's interesting. Did they? That makes me curious. How did they present that? Like, was that that points? Did that represent uh, something in the fiction, or was that just sort of a meta uh, device to keep you from running away with the game? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think in one of the book they put it in. It was almost sort of like what were they called? They, they were equivalently like spell slots, and you get a number of them per day. At lower level, you might get one or two, and you would max out. I think at around like eight spell slots, equivalently a day for that. Okay, so you can kind of play it as as uh, you get some moment of inspired genius of figuring out how to do something. Maybe. And other than that, you were sort of a a secondhand rogue, thirdhand magic user. Okay, yeah. But I'm thinking right now, paladin, and I'll just need to choose the right background to get the couple of extra skills I think that I want. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so if you they they put the backgrounds pretty far in the back of the book, right? The, around one thirty, one forty, page one thirty, one forty ish. And you're exactly right. Like, what you want to look at is from a gameplay standpoint, what are the skills that it offers? Because that's going to be the thing that you're going to run in that you're going to use the most. Um, and then from that, each of them has proficiencies that they add and then that'll shape your character's personality traits and ideals and all that which i'm pretty flexible on those like if you if you pick one background and the the traits there's none that really fits you uh, you're more than welcome to grab one from a different background as long as it doesn't just like completely nullify the background that you picked okay so um as there may be one or two listeners like me that are not familiar with 5e, can you sort of explain how some of the rules might run? Uh, yeah, what, like, what kind of rules? We keep talking about skills and other things like that. I know originally in like 3.5, you might have a matrix of 10 points that you'd have skill ranks you could assign to skills. Sure, yeah, yeah. So, so in 5th edition, um, instead of that, what they have, what they say is you just gain proficiency in a skill. And if you have proficiency in a skill, then you add your proficiency bonus. And the proficiency bonus for a character is based strictly on character level. So for levels, uh, I think it's levels one through five, maybe one through four, but it's on the, it's on the, you know, the class charts that proficiency bonus is plus two. And then at the medium levels, it goes to plus three and eventually plus four. Um, and I think it caps out at plus five. But so with history, for instance, each of the skills in fifth edition is an extension or an expression of an ability check. So the history skill is a particular use of your intelligence. So what you're doing is you're making an intelligence check and then if you're proficient in history, you add your proficiency bonus to it. So if your intelligence is 14, for instance, then that's gonna give you a plus two intelligence modifier to your rolls. So you'll roll a d20, you'll add two for your intelligence. And then because you're proficient in history, 
then you would add plus two to that if that's your if your first level. So you'd have a plus four instead of a plus two. Okay. And that's all that's that's all there is to it. It's it's, it's actually pretty dead simple. Um, so when they say the skill proficiencies, then you're just picking them and you don't have to worry about how many ranks you're putting towards each. The only var the only variation that comes up for that is some of the classes have special things they can do with skills, and there are certain feats that affect um, sort of some of, that might affect some of your skills. But those are exceptions, right? So they only come up if you really want them to. And if you're looking at the backgrounds, it's the same thing with uh, tool proficiencies or vehicle proficiencies. Um, if you, you know, like the uh, the noble proficiency, it says you have a tool proficiency, one type of gaming set. So you choose, like, you want to be really good at playing cards. So you put cards as your gaming set proficiency. And how you'll use that is if your character is gambling with somebody or playing cards with somebody, uh, then you would make your role, and that might be a wisdom role, it might be an intelligence role or a charisma check or whatever, but then you'd get that proficiency bonus, even though there's no particular skill that applies to it you're using a tool that you're good with. And so that's going to apply to it instead. Megan, have you, uh, how, how far along have you gotten? Uh, well, I tried to save Acer's character and then it sort of started over. So I'm starting over on his character. Oh no, oh, no. on the character sheet? Yes, but um, I'm going to at least get something in there and then um, I can go through Acer and see what wrong choices I made. Okay. <laughs> Shane. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's talk backgrounds for a second. Sure. Um, I uh, I don't like to play evil characters. So I think I like rogues with a heart of gold. Um, and so I was looking at the criminal background. But uh, I wanted to make sure that I could choose uh, a specialty that was less um, horrible and more useful to <laughs> being on a boat. Like, for example, smuggler. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I can see that as a criminal might, specialty. Yeah, uh, that, yeah, just about every 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 port worth its salt that you come into is going to try to put taxes on you for importing things. So, uh, so if, if it does that, is that okay with you or should I work yeah, on something? In fact, smuggler is one of the listed specialties that they have there. Yes. Okay, good. All right. I just, I'm not a big fan of Charlotte charlatan. Um, it's one of the backgrounds I would do differently. Um, but that's neither here nor there. So criminal it is. And uh, do you want us to roll or pick our uh, thingamabobs, our personality, ideal, and bond, and flaw, and stuff? Oh, either one. You can, you can, if you, if one of those really speaks to you, then grab it. Um, or if you, or if you just want to roll and see what it looks like, then you can roll. Very good. All right. A little light tax evasion notwithstanding, how reputable is this merchant ship? That's that's going to be up to the largely up to the four of you. I can I can play it a lot of different ways. The ship is the heart of iron, and it's uh, it's captained by uh, uh, Helia Lynn Harrion, and 
let me see. So she's a she's a human ship captain, and in fact, on the roll twenty map, I will bring her token to the uh, to the main level or, or you know public, so you can get a look at her uh, her sketch. Are all the backgrounds open? Uh, yeah, sure. You know, I'd I'd say it it might be useful to kind of compare notes with all the with the other players, right? So so everybody can kind of get a sense of of where you're coming from and. And that'll that'll also help help us kind of figure out what bonds bring your characters together, right? Why do you trust each other? Um, why, right why now, are you willing to... I, uh, I'm thinking haunted one for my background. Yeah, is is that one of the? Oh God, is that one from Strahd. The... Oh, Okay, Strahd. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's where I saw that. Yeah, that could be interesting. Tell, tell us, uh, what are you looking at? What, uh, or do you have the description in front of you? The feature is Heart of Darkness. Those who look into your eyes can see that you faced unimaginable horror and that you're no stranger to darkness. Though they may fear you, commoners will extend you every courtesy and do their utmost to help you. Unless you have shown yourself to be a danger to them, they will even take up arms to fight alongside you, should you find yourself facing an enemy alone. Right, okay. Yeah, no, I think I could I could totally see that. This is a yeah. this is a particularly haunted setting, right? Um, and so everybody that you meet is convinced and often rightly that there's various spirits of nature and the dead and um, demons from the underworld that are constantly messing with them and or helping them if they uh, if they give them the right sacrifices. So. So that's a that's a that's a character background that would that would certainly fit, and it would look a little different in play than it looks in Strahd, for instance, right? In the, in Ravenloft, you're that 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 feels like a character that's going to become an Avenger against the vampires, right? And here, it's a it's a little the the emphasis is a little different, so that could be fun. Awesome. So I will say, as far as looking at like alignments and um, good and evil and everything, the uh, to me the key is if you, you know, like if uh, if one of you wants to play a character that's uh, good alignment and somebody else, you, you just have your heart set on being ruthless and evil, then um, I'm okay with that as a game master. But what's going to be crucial is making sure that something ties your characters together, right? So that you are compelled morally or because of family ties or some other duty to um, back each other up, right, and to make that uh, make the you know the, the make that difference a source of fruitful conflict instead of a conflict that it, it would make no sense for you to still be hanging out together after the first two or three adventures. Okay, that's fair. Um, I uh, I like I said I don't want to I don't want to play an evil rogue. I I, I my guy's going to be uh, opportunistic. And certainly not above doing something shady, but um, not uh, not a moral. Uh, he's more of a fight the power kind of a guy than a uh, than a, I'm going to take what's mine kind of guy. So uh, I can I can work with that, and I can I'm, I'm happy to find reasons to like everybody. In fact, I just took for a personality trait. I would rather uh, make a new friend than a new enemy. So there you go. <laughs> Very good. And I guess it might help also talking about alignments because they can be so problematic um, to give you a sense of 
the way I interpret evil in Dungeons and Dragons uh, is, to me, what it what it really comes down to in D and D is uh, how far are you willing to go to get what you want, right? So an an evil an evil character might be you might be able to get along with them perfectly well and not have any problems in the world until you are in between them and something that they need or that they desperately want or think they're owed. And then they are way more, an evil character is, it's like, you know, if I'm evil, I'm willing to do anything to get what I want. There are very few limits unless there's some outside limit, like it's going to make my brother want to kill me. You know, if you're good, then there's a lot of limits because you're motivated by wanting to do right by people and wanting people to get along and to, to help people. And if you're neutral, then you're sort of in between, right? You're, you're, uh, there's limits to how far you'll go, but, uh, but you don't worry too much about it unless you get up to that line that you're not going to cross. That's good. That's a good way to put that. Because I just chose something important was taken from me and I aim to steal it back. I don't know what that's going to be just yet, but uh, that may be the, that may be the thing that puts me in the quandary. You know, how far would I be willing to go to get back the thing that was taken from me? Yeah. Yeah. And you could explore that as a good character or a neutral character. I hate that I'm thinking, I, I hate that I'm thinking of this as a dungeon master. I'm going to try not to do that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, unfortunately, old habits sort of die hard. All right. So, Megan, uh, your dwarf cleric. Is this a chaotic evil dwarf cleric? I was thinking neutral, neutral evil. Um, I'm definitely going to go with the jealous, greedy type of dwarf who likes to have shiny things. Huh. Okay. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah. But, I mean, I won't steal them from my party members. I'll just try to convince them to give them to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like I said, the, the, to me, the key there is to make sure that we sort of establish a, ahead of time what it is that what it is like, what, it, what does your character feel like you owe the rest of these people? Right. Um, you're all different, different backgrounds and races, you know, so you're not going to be family necessarily, but there's something that ties you to them and ties them to you that'll that'll um, potentially either rein in your worst impulses or um, or give them, you know, give them reason to uh, tolerate them when, when they don't have any other choice. Yeah. I, I do want to be clear. I'm not going to be uh, trying to steal stuff from people in the middle of the night in case anyone was worried about PvP stuff. <laughs> okay. Um, but if I can convince you that I deserve the bigger share, that's fine. I think uh, I think you and I are going to get along just fine, especially <laughs> if there's, uh, if there's a, a plan to get the gold without uh, any casualties. Uh, I'm seeing a I'm I'm sensing a partnership here. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have any moral compunctions. I don't have any moral compunctions. It would be wrong to put that sort of temptation in front of all these other people. <laughs> right. Uh, We're helping you. That's right. This is not. I, we don't want the gold. It's not for us. It's to it's to make sure that you're not tempted by it. You you wouldn't want us to descend into uh, ill repute. Oh, don't make the choices we've made. Don't don't let us be an example to you of what not to do. 
<laughs> all of this, and we will make sure that you never are tempted by it again. You're welcome. I'm excited to be a part of it. <laughs> Just like you don't want us tempted by that pie. That's right. Well, it's going to be, I mean, you know, gold is gold, but pie is pie. I can go with clan crafter as my background, which is basically I'm an awesome dwarf. Did you say clan crafter or clam crafter? (laughs) (laughs) Well, my clan just loves clowns, so it's hard to tell. No. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know. Is that, uh, where did, where did you get that? First of all, I'm curious. I'm not sure. It is in my um, D&D Beyond book oh, okay, shelf, cool. so yeah, I'm yeah. not sure where it came from. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. So, so tell us about it. Like, what is uh, what is what is, what do they what do they say is the, the gist of it? Uh, the stout folk are well known for their artisanship and worth of their handiworks, and you have been trained in that ancient tradition. For years, you labored under a dwarf master of the craft, enduring long hours and dismissive, sour-tempered treatment in order to gain. The fine skills you possess today. Um, so I'm gonna take investigation and history from this, and the main uh, feature is no one esteems uh, me quite so highly as dwarves do. I always have free room and board in any place where shield dwarves or gold dwarves dwell. Okay, so cool. I just have to adapt those to the setting. Like shield dwarves and gold dwarves are a particular couple of branches yeah, in the Forgotten Realms. But yeah, but we'll, we'll adapt those to the... As, as yeah. Oh, man. Maybe I should be a cook. <laughs> Take cook's utensils. I'm going to have to think about what type of artisan tools I want. Instead of a 10-foot pole, you have barbecue tongs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Acer, do you... Uh, what, what do you have in mind? Have you have you thought through any, any further on your uh, fighter? Uh, no, I'm waiting for Megan to... Uh... I decided you were probably going to take the soldier background. Oh, wait. Okay. I guess she has decided for me. I will change it later if you change your mind, but that's the one you always take. Something really familiar (laughs) about this. We already see that neutral evil thing coming out. (laughs) Uh, She had me take the uh, protection as my... uh, uh, I gave you the list and let you pick. I just said that might be the best one. Let me guess. You want me to stand five feet or less away from you at all times? <laughs> You're very short, so. So yeah, my the when I was playing my barbarian, it was in that long running campaign. It was uh, it was always amusing because the there were four of us, and I was the barbarian, and there was a, a rogue and a wizard and a and a dwarf cleric, and. Um, but yeah, like because I was the one dedicated fighter type, um, and because of the way I played the character, you know, he was always running into the forefront of things. But the but the the really dangerous character was the rogue because it was a halfling, and she was like the version, the variant of the ha- of halfling that can basically dart in in and out and hide behind friends and. Um, so I would have always be the one just sort of soaking up damage while she kind of jumped out from behind me and sniped people and was doing ridiculous, you know, especially once she got up to, you know, the assassin subclass. She was just jumping out and using her little hand crossbow dart gun to do like 30 points of damage at a pop to whoever whoever she wanted to snipe at. It was, it was entertaining. 
Okay. Hey, Chris, how's your how's your character sheet? Character sheet foo coming along. Pretty good. I'm looking at Azamar and I'm thinking Fallen. Oh, interesting. Okay. So that so tell us about the Azamar. That's one that's not in the in the main rulebook. Uh the, the quick skinny is they are primarily like a mix of celestial, but for Fallen it's going more with my darker concept for the character to go with the the haunted one that's also associated with it. There were giants in the earth in those days. Do you know how would a uh how would one of the Azamar look or or talk or whatever or sound different from uh, just a standard boring human like like Acer? I think it's going to do something with the tone of the voice. It might even be so much that it's they talk in a whisper, but it sounds almost as if it's a megaphone. So they're whispering, but you can still hear them across the room. They got reverb. Okay, yeah, that's kind of cool. Creation is always the chatty part, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mark, what stage are you at in things? I am inputting some... Uh, I'm trying to figure out um, where some stuff needs to go on the sheet. Uh, I've decided to go ahead and put uh, the background piece uh, on the bio page. I've got my uh, personality uh, stuff all set up for background. I'm working on proficiencies right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the feed I took for variant human was alert, so I need to figure out uh, what all I need to what all I need to add in, in in various places to make that useful. You know. Okay. So for the for backgrounds on the on the roll twenty character sheet, if you uh, if you if you go to the um, to the top of the sheet where it has the class and the subclass and everything, there's a little. Um, gear yes. oh okay character level and if you click that it'll change that top right thing and you can type uh, in your background and your alignment and your experience points there so you have to toggle that back and forth to get access to those elements right, very cool thank you that's uh very helpful um well yeah i'm just uh at this point um all that's left for me to do is to uh, finish filling in the basic stuff, you know, gear, equipment, all that hoo-ha. I think I've got every, I think I've got everything else uh, dialed in, uh, skill-wise and yeah. things like that. Yeah. So the you asked about the alert, how to how to set up things for the alert feat. So I can go through that a little bit, just as a as a uh, just for example's sake. On the roll, oh, 20, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, on the on the roll twenty sheet, like if you scroll down uh, on the main character sheet to features and traits, it looks like you've already added um, alert as a thing and and where it came from. But what you can do there is below. So yeah, you've got it selected, and it says source type variant human. And below that, if you just click in that white space, you can type notes. So you can type uh. the description you want. So for alert, what alert does is it gives you, uh, you're always on the lookout for danger. So you get plus five to initiative. You don't need to put that there necessarily. You can just put that in the initiative box up at the top. Um, but you can put it there if you want as a reminder of where that huge plus five bonus came from. And then you can't be surprised while you're conscious, which is the big one. So you definitely want that to be there as a reminder. 
And then it says other other creatures don't gain advantage on attack rolls against you as a result of being hidden from you, which is also a huge thing. And those things, it's, it's useful in 5e to pay attention to the language, because when it says other creatures don't gain advantage on attack rolls against you, it means creatures. Like there are some things that you might encounter and fight that are dangerous and that might be hidden from you, but they're not creatures in the game sense. Right. It might be constructs or, or whatever. So that's good. Now I need to manually input the plus five bonus on my initiative. I'm assuming that I can do that the by hitting the gear. Uh, yeah. In fact, you can. Um, yeah, it looks. I'm I, I'm watching your sheet as you're as you're manipulating it. Um, so you you've switched. You've hit the little gear to switch to the settings. So in that in attribute options, that middle section, it lists initiative modifier along the way down there. So I yes. think what you can do. It says zero right now. If you just change that to five, right. then when you switch back to your sheet, it'll show eight. Yep. Look at that. Genius, I tell you, genius. Yeah, it's handy. Let me just make sure I've got everything skill-wise I need. You ask what skill uh, you're taking. Yeah, I was going to suggest you might want to compare notes with everybody because that way you can, you know, I mean, it never hurts to have some overlap with the crucial skills, but it might, you know, if you know that somebody else has one that's available to you, you might have more fun choosing a different one. Very good. Uh, yeah, since I'm Skillmeister McGee here, let me tell you what my rogue currently looks like vis-a-vis -vis his uh his life's decisions uh that led him to this uh place on the ship uh acrobatics deception investigation perception persuasion stealth and i and there's one more i need so um is there anything uh, there that, that everybody's just got to have or really needing that I can maybe concentrate elsewhere? Or are I have perception. I, yeah, per and perception is one of the ones where it's okay to double up for sure. It sounds like a good spread. Yeah. And for mo if any of us overlap with skills that you have, that's not necessarily bad in case, you know, you fail a roll. I, I, or he's unconscious. Or is <laughs> or mysteriously has been knocked unconscious for some reason that has nothing to do with anyone else in the party. Um, Not sharing enough loot with the cleric so they wouldn't hear you. Yeah, <laughs> can't believe it. <laughs> that, there, there, was a, there was another campaign I, I played in a, a, a number of years ago where um, I thought it was really in, entertaining, but I don't know if the other players did. Where. Uh, I was playing a, uh, I don't know, like a chaotic neutral cleric or something like that, or maybe it was neutral, but the main point is that I was playing an, a cleric who was um, an aggressive proselytizer. <laughs> I was holding back. Yeah, pure spell. You know. That's Southern upbringing, Shane. Oh, yeah, no, I've, 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 I've been steeped in it. All right, I've still got my feet skill to take. Uh, I've, I've, my thief skills, excuse me, my rogue skills, ugh, you can tell I'm an old fart. Uh, my rogue skills and my, uh, background skills have been logged. So my variant human skill can kind of be left of center right now. The, my sort of image of this guy is the fast talking likable 
character who just is wanting to do whatever he can to get something going. You know, he's always got a, got an angle, got a scheme. So I'm trying to, uh, so I've got persuasion. I don't really want to do, uh, intimidation. That's not him, but, uh, I'm kind of either look, either looking at survival, uh, or maybe insight. Uh, seems like insight would be up your alley. Yeah, that's that. That feels more like you know. Can I get a sense of this guy after watching him uh, haggle with the uh, barkeep over the cost of the bill? That sort of thing, right? Chris, if you lock down your skills, I was wondering if you're going to take intimidate. I'm not taking intimidate. Okay. Right now, if I stick with the paladin, which basically means I am going to actually make up both characters and see which one I like better. Uh, <laughs> Arcana, Investigation, Persuasion, and Religion. Regardless okay. of what happens, I am going to definitely keep Investigation for either one. Okay. That's my old school gamer in me that needs to make both to compare them. <laughs> That's fair. Takes dedication. I admire it. Skirmish them against each other. See who comes out on top. This is coming <laughs> together. Um, so, Shane, let's talk, uh, let's talk names. Uh, do you have... Uh, uh, a style guide for names, or uh, I was looking at this character as being somebody from um, the city state. Yeah, I was. I was just. Uh, in fact, what I'm doing right now is I, I just realized that the thing I forgot to put in that about the Broken Empire handout was links to uh, 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 name generators that would that would suit each of the main cultures that I described there. So, but I'll tell you what you can do manually while I'm while I'm putting it together is uh, there's a website called fantasynamegenerators.com, and at the top of it, the main men, the the menus that it has at the top, one of them you click real names, and it gives you this huge infinite list of possibilities. Yes, it's a great and, love it. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, and so for uh, for Zira, because I've I've sort of teed Zira's languages, uh, fantasy language off of Phoenician. Um, let me see. They actually have a Phoenician names option under the real names thing. Oh. So if you want, you can try that. Uh, or if those names don't float your boat at all, then you know feel free to feel free to pick another another one that's suitably exotic right and feels kind of appropriate to that to that region and, and time period i went with a sumerian mythology name generator which was just sure i just took the name of the earth goddess which was ki i'm not sure how to pronounce that okay yeah it's probably key okay but, uh, key. but I'll, I'll i'll look it up in my notes on ancient sumerian uh, if you want to confirm that for you. Oh, there we go. Is there not a shield bash stunt 5e? Say what now? Uh, it's, wow. A shield bash feat. I've been playing too much fate. Like uh, using your shield to smash into people? Yeah. I see there's, a shield master. Yeah, there's a feat that uh, that allows that, but feats are kind of thin on the ground in 5th edition. Um, mm. It's actually uncommon to start with one, but there's uh, like there there are there are options in ordinary combat where if you just want to shove somebody you know or move them around, uh, you can attempt to do that you know, and we can describe that as you're using your shield for it. Um, 
or we can use your you know the the shield modifier as the to to go along with the um the attack role or the athletics role usually trying to shove somebody if that's what you're trying to do is an athletics test which means you're making the strength role modified by your athletic skill but if you've got a shield behind you i could i could i could float uh allowing a bonus to that okay. my character sheet is like stuck saving if you go into my character sheet can you see anything on it because it's at like 95 percent done building my character for the last five minutes <laughs> okay uh yeah i see lots of stuff on there okay i assume i can close this then everybody cross your fingers <laughs> hopefully i don't start crying yeah that's all the stuff i just added oh good Except I don't think my gills were selected. That's okay. I can fix that. I'd say save frequently, but then you'll just, with your luck, corrupt the file. <laughs> there we go. They're all checked this time. So I'm a little quiet right now because I'm I'm adding those name links in. So I'm kind of concentrating on that. You know, as you're going along, if you've got uh, if you've settled on things or you want to compare further on skills or feats or cultural backgrounds. If anybody has any any questions about the cultures and religions and everything, feel free to ask. Yeah, the only thing that uh, I was wondering, uh, I'm really looking at um, so the, the language of the Broken Empire. Uh, it's uh, I'm assuming that it's a mix then of uh, the... Um, the original uh, Zirian and uh, the uh, the Samaran, right? Largely, yeah, yeah. The uh, the 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 common tongue is essentially Zirian, uh, the way okay. I, the way I usually play it. Got it. Um, because it because the the Zirian Empire was in place for so long that yeah. even though it's been overthrown and a lot of its former tributaries have been kind of left to their own devices for for however many decades, maybe even a couple of hundred years now, a lot of those, uh, the, you know, the language that became so prevalent is still stuck around. So I kind of, I kind of imagine the common, common tongue in, in this setting as mainly Zirin, but with a lot of, a lot of sort of uh, Pigden elements from other languages that have crept right. in just from usage cool. over time. All right, all right. I like that. Do you have a name idea for your character, Ethan? I'm going to pick your personality traits now. Oh, roll them. You want me to roll them? Yep. All right. I guess I could use roll 20 to roll them. I don't need to use actual dice. You have a crude sense of humor. Oh, that's going to be fun. All right, Acer, is that something you can play and have fun playing? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll make it work. You don't have to keep it. <laughs> okay. You also enjoy being strong and like breaking things. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> and your ideal is a T6. When people follow orders blindly, they embrace a kind of tyranny. And does that, uh, does that like with the ideals, does that suit the al whatever alignment uh, you had in mind? Because some of the ideals are particular to certain alignments. They help you kind of... Yeah, that one's a play. chaotic alignment. All right, I will go chaotic neutral. Okie dokie. Yeah, your bond is my honor is my life. I guess for a, for a certain definition of honor. <laughs> my word is good. And 
Um, your flaw is my hatred of my enemies is blind and unreasoning. Hmm. Do you want to keep that one? Let's re-roll that one. Okay. Getting really boxed in here. <laughs> I have little respect for anyone who is not a proven warrior. Okay. Let's do that. I want to emphasize that I'm not just cruelly preventing Easter from making his character. I hear what you're saying. I'm not <laughs> sure I believe it. <laughs> Sense in a dynamic at work here that we're not really privy uh, <laughs> to. Well, I'm the one at the computer, so. Ever you guys need to make it work. <laughs> out, it takes all kinds of flavors to make a Baskin Robbins. No, no, where to go? Okay, right now your character's name is A, because it wouldn't let me save it without a name. Uh, well, let's see what the Phoenicians have to offer. Bodinal Court. Let's see, Balzer. Adir, Akbar. No. <laughs> no. I I have chosen Baldo Vandalarius for my uh, rogue name. So feel Adir. free to stop that or not. Adonius, Astartes, Zephon, Philoser. I'm not going to be saying any of these right. And of course, feel free to, you know, like if, if one of those sounds almost right, but you don't want to say us at the end of it every time, to just chop that us right off. Use the parts of the name you like. Go. Let's just go with uh, Adonius. Not keeping the uh, in the front, I'm assuming. Uh-huh. All right. Not going with uh, Stardust and trying to not make Space Marine jokes. So. <laughs> You're welcome. They don't have shields, so it's okay. I think I have everything. I, um, for my custom subclass in the Character Mancer added that I also could pull off the wizard spell sheet so that I could add the unseen servant and find familiar. Okay, good deal. Did it, did that work? Uh, did that yeah. Work I told it I also got the two extra spells so I could add them. <laughs> but they're there now. Good, good. I'm glad that worked. I really like that all the spells are just right here so I don't have to scroll through the book. Yeah, redu redu reducing the amount of page flipping you have to do was the <laughs> was the first <laughs> the first challenge that people decided they had to overcome with fifth edition. So it was like right after the game came out, there was decks of spell cards hot on the heels of it. Yeah, and then I can just click on my character sheet to make a roll. That's fancy. That's what I need. Hoo ha! All right. I just got smart about the array. Uh, in, 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 in what sense? Um, I get expertise at first level with two uh, skills. I chose Thieves Tools because, you know, that's what you do. And for the other one, I went ahead and picked my uh, insight skill. Uh, and so uh, my character's not really wise. He's, uh, he's got a 12 wisdom, but he knows people pretty well. So thanks to the to the expertise in insight, he gets a plus five to those roles. That's good stuff. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's, uh, expertise like doubles your proficiency bonus, right? So instead of that's right, you, get, you, plus you, four. you can pick yeah. two skills, or you can pick a skill and thieves tools. And uh, so there you go. All right, very cool. Yeah, I get leather armor. Hot diggity. Yeah, you're gonna want to trade that up really quickly. <laughs> and quickly as in just as soon as it's been perforated by stab wounds 
the, the exciting thing is is uh to me i mean it might not be as exciting for you guys but to me the one of the exciting things is uh i like to use uh the uh a version of the lingering injuries rules the way that i <laughs> try to play hit points is losing hit points is no big deal unless you go to zero and that means you've been actually hurt hurt so you roll on the table to see what part of you got really hurt and then that sticks for a while so the uh the when the the when i was play testing this campaign these these scenarios the first time around one of, one of the players he built this ranger and he was like perfectly like platonically optimized as an archer you know oh no and and uh the first encounter that they got into he got dropped to zero hit points and lost an eye and oh. the lingering injury rules are brutal like every ranged attack is at disadvantage after that oh he pitched such a fit i i had mercy and uh eased up on it. ah <laughs> <laughs> uh. Okay, now my armor class went up. The armor didn't save last time. Ah, I've been running a Delta Green campaign where one character just is not dying, but keeps getting seriously injured, and sanity is tanking. So we will be the the instrument for a TPK, I think, at some point. <laughs> yeah, it's a matter of time. Yeah, I'm just tanking my sanity. It's fine. <laughs> I don't think playing a scientist character in Delta Green is a smart move because I want to look at all the things. It's, it's in Delta Green it's it's always it's kind of funny to me because you've got there it it always feels like there's two kinds of players. Like there's there's some players who they get into it and they want to, you know, they want to play it as well as they can, you know, and they want to do their best to beat the adventure and to come out of it and succeed despite the horrors. That's how I play all the time. I, I love the problem solving. But um, and then I've got friends who they're into it for the insanity, you know, so so they'll like when they do their stats, they'll make sure power is the one that gets the lowest score. They have to roll, you know, so their sanity evaporates with the drop of a hat. I didn't quite do that bad, but I did uh, collect weird mold that grew on blood and studied it further. Yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> And that sounds fascinating if you're a <laughs> biologist or something. I was playing, I'm playing a mycologist, so it was even worse. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. come on. Acer was targeting me. I thought that was my job. <laughs> I think our characters are done except for me going back through with Acer and making sure he approves all the decisions I need. All right. Well, do you want to start with Megan? Why don't you start with your character and kind of give a, give everybody the breakdown so the other players know, you know, give us the summary of what your character is like and what your strengths and weaknesses are, and you know, what do, what do they know? What do they know about you? All right. Um, he is a dwarf. Unsurprisingly, uh, she. I'm gonna go with. Uh, she worships the underworld goddess Illyria. Is that close? Uh, let's see. Which uh, uh, Volcani? Did that come from? Oh, okay. So you're from one of the uh, the so-called barbarian tribes or the re- regions. I might change. I was basically going on which god sounds the coolest off the uh, deities commonly associated with the domain. Yeah, that's totally fine. Um, uh, but. Yeah. 
Illyria. So yeah, the like it says there in that the link in that handout, the 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 region is dominated by the Valken tribes and the gods that they worship. They tend to be animistic and druidic and um as I wrote it there, making a little distinction except in scope between the spirits of trees, rocks, animals, the spirits of the dead that find new homes and places or beasts, and the mighty gods of the earth and weather. And they're kind of subject to particularly brutal deities to uh, to, to keep their people alive. So um so yeah, the so Ilaria is the goddess of the underworld. Actually is, uh, I might change yeah. to so Hayek, uh, because they have the same alignment as me, and that might be better, which is Iskutai. I don't know if I want to be a nomad. I'm going to figure this out. Yeah, that's fine. So, uh, so Iskutai, as I wrote it, is, is, um, there's, it's, it's a, the large, it, it's kind of the, it's kind of a, analogous to, um, to, uh, the great Asian steppes that were dominated by the Scythians and, by their descendants, the Huns and the Mongols, you know, these huge, no, dangerous nomad tribes. And um, and then further east, some of those tribes have settled down and joined with other cultures. And you've got, um, you know, sort of a branch of the same people, but instead of nomading around everywhere, they're in big cities and they're, they consider themselves civilized. Okay, I might go with that then, but it might change by next time we play. Uh, sure, yeah. She is short because she is a dwarf. She has hair sort of the color of rich, uh, well-fed earth, um, and maybe like a slight gray tinge to her skin, but not anything that makes her look that weird. She is a master dwarven crafter, uh, mostly with jewelry. I put one of my bonds as I created a great work for someone and then found them unworthy to receive it. I'm still looking for someone worthy. So I probably have a really awesome box that I carry around with me until I find the right person to sell it to. Okay, yeah, that sounds cool. Um, but yeah, I'm a summoner cleric. I can't quite summon anything other than an unseen servant yet, but I'm getting there. And well, being able to summon an invisible spirit that'll do stuff <laughs> for you is way more summoning than any of these other people can do. That's true. I'm already ahead. And I have a warhammer. I'm shocked. These are used to playing uh, D&D with me. Now, t with, uh, since it's 5th edition, take a look at your weapon proficiencies and, the, and make sure that uh, warhammer is available to you. Because some... some uh, yeah, I martial weapon proficiencies, which I think is a Warhammer, and some don't, which means you're limited to the simple weapons. Okay. I I do have Warhammer as a as a proficiency. Oh, good. Okay. There you go. Um, so she does a lot of traditional dwarfish stuff, but she also likes making jewelry, which I guess is still sort of traditional dwarfish stuff. That's key right. until I come up with more backstory. What are your spells? I have, right? yeah, wisdom. I have for my cantrip, sacred flame, guidance, and light. And my level one spells cure wounds, guiding bolts, inflict wounds, bless, unseen servant, and find familiar. And I can cast two of those a day. All right. I keep casting that instead of reading about it. 
Yeah, that that happens pretty frequently. <laughs> <laughs> you like have to click in exactly the right place for it to do what you want, and if you don't, then weird things happen. Yeah, I'll type up more of a background for her and put it in the character sheet. Yeah, cool. So I would say just uh, start with the uh, that deities of Iskutai link, you know, um, to get a mm -hmm. sense of it, and then and then feel free to just add elements or make things up that fit, that fit with that. All right. And we've got we've got some leeway here. A little latitude. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean it's a big world, right? So the the very brief descriptions that I gave there. Um, None of that is should be thought of as being written in stone. Chris, what's happening on your end? I'm just plugging in stats and information. All right. Did you? Uh, so are you? Are you? Are you settled on the paladin still? Uh, right now. The other one I'll make by myself later. Then I'll compare the two of them. Gotcha. Okay. So what? Uh, what you should you be able to see the character the... sheet. Actually. Yeah. Can you? What can you tell us about it? Um, I went with a somewhat standard Paladin bill for the start. It's got a high strength, some high charisma. I'm uh, focusing in a little bit more on some of the versatility. That's why investigation is important because I envisioning the character being somewhat more of a, a dark hunter that tracks down monsters based on its background it's encountered. Okay. And they've even rolled up some of the different personality, we'll call them quirks that they gave me. Uh, <laughs> All right. What are those for, instance, like? for instance, growing up, I witnessed a dozen people being killed, and the monster left me un untouched. Which means instead, I I will never run from evil. Evil runs from me. Mm -hmm. I don't talk about don't... the things that torment me because I don't want to burden others. Uh, I will kill monsters to make the world a safer place to exercise my own demons. And I feel no compassion for the dead because they're the lucky ones. <laughs> All right. So Chipper is my middle name. Dour, dour paladin. Does a cloud just like continue to float over the ship as we sail across <laughs> the sea of storms? I would think, but with the scourge, in fact, I radi I can radiate a divine light that comes from every pore of my being. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like maybe it's an angry light. It is. Um, I'm also in the low wisdom camp. Yeah, those those, those stat points don't uh, they don't go very far once you get started. Well, you know, if it is constantly raining on us, at least we won't have a uh, water shortage. Oh, that's very positive. It's very easy to look on the bright side. I mean, it's coming out of all of his pores. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've I've updated the at about the broken empire handout with, with a. Um, name generator link that goes directly to the the pretty good matches for the major major cultures and regions the only one that i haven't filled in yet is is the q falcon one because they're way up north and i was when i wrote i wrote a whole adventure feature in that culture but i'm i based its its language about and names around um uh, indo-european and the uh because it's an old, old culture that's been isolated for a long time. And the fantasy name generator, even though they've done, I don't know how many dozens or hundreds of uh, name generation programs, they didn't put Proto-Indo-European in there yet. So I'm just, I'm deeply frustrated. 
I've cho- chosen my deity too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Tell us about the culture you come from and, uh, and your the deity. Chosen a Talayan of Storm, of the Storm. King of Heaven, God of Storms, Thunder, Rain, Sailing, Battles. Uh, commander of Armies, Commands the Armies of Heaven, Overthrows Monsters and Keeps Cruel, Samatar Bound in the Depths of the Ocean. And which, uh, which, which, which culture did that, uh, is, uh, is, is, is that from? Exaltic Scholars of Sindasa? That said with absolute confidence. <laughs> the land of white. Yeah, Sindusa, yeah. So it's uh there's there's another one of the adventures is set set in that region, in fact. And it's uh so Sindusa is, is is kind of a um it, it's it's based like all of these, that you know, all of these are, are started off based on historical old cultures. So Sindusa was based on uh, uh ancient Vedic uh India, like the period of the Rig Veda before, you know, it's sort of a, a version of India that's not entirely familiar to us when we look at it now, but but that's where it evolved from. It's also the birthplace of gods and mortals. Sindusa absolutely was, according to Sindusans. <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere I go, that's what I'm going to say. That's right. All right. Who else do we want to hear about? Uh, Mark, you've told us about you. You're from your thief, I mean, rogue from the the great overthrown city, decaying city state of Zira. That's right. Um, Baldo is uh, one of those guys that uh, you like him, but you, you, you're pretty sure he's up to something. And in fact, um, stories vary wildly about how he got to be on this ship, but mo- regardless of whatever story he's telling somebody, everybody's pretty sure he's working off a of debt. <laughs> he got caught doing <laughs> and, you know, uh, uh, being uh, sentenced to, uh, or, or being conscripted or pressed into service, however you want to put it on the ship on the heart of iron is, uh, the way that he's choosing to pay off that debt. If, uh, if he's not uh, hanging out with um, the folks on the deck, uh, he's usually standing next to the captain uh, talking in her ear, trying to get her to go along with whatever horrifyingly weird scheme he's cooked up, uh, which she never does. Uh, she just no, no, Baldo. No, <laughs> don't you have rope to tie? Don't you have something to be lashing to? So, uh, so he's well, the good is the the first adventure is going to start with um, her finally caving in and agreeing to one of these schemes. Of what we'll learn the details of it as we get going. <laughs> I knew you'd warm up to me. It was only a matter of time. Um, so he's uh, he he would rather make a new friend than an enemy. Uh, he's a big believer in personal freedom. Sailing life actually agrees with him. He thinks chains were meant to be broken, as are those who would inf- who would uh, forge them. Uh, so while he is proud to be uh, f- from the city state, he's also the first one to uh, uh, disparage the city guards' uh, uneven handedness when it comes to dealing with criminal elements and things like that. He's pretty impulsive. 
this isn't I, I haven't figured out what it is going to be yet, but but he's he's looking for something. There's something there's a reason why he's doing all of this. It's some sort of long, long chess game he's playing to get something back. And he's, uh, you know, he uh, we, we haven't really delved into that yet, uh, but uh, I think I'm going to work on that and uh, include it on the sheet. What else do you guys need to know about this guy? Is uh, his feats are skulker and alert, uh, like a good rogue. He uh, he's armed with a rapier and a dagger. He can use a short bow, but strength is not his strong suit. So uh, if it's uh, if push comes, he'll shoot if he has to. But he'd much rather get up close and uh, be uh, sticky pointy. All right, very good. And all right, and then so let's see, Acer. Do we know? Uh, background details on on your uh on your your fighter yet like what part of the world you come from and what your uh well, have, have you worked out specialties anything like that i also come from the uh, city state um and i think i uh came to the ship with a cargo to uh, protect it and found that this sort of life agrees with me more than my previous employment and uh, managed to broker passage through uh, just hauling on ropes until I figured out how things actually worked. Uh, yeah, very good. Um, and and oh, one thing I was going to suggest, by the way, is if, you, if, you can, if you've had a chance to develop a sense of what uh, bonds have formed between your characters, Right. And it does it doesn't have to be with everybody, but if you can if you can sort of pick out one or two of your fellow characters and figure this is somebody that I've become close with, right? That that uh and why. And you might uh, one 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 way to get an idea for that is to look at the bonds trait that you chose with your background. And if one of them seems to fit one of your fellow adventurers, then that might be a good in for establishing that relationship. That uh, that paladin's got his shit together. It, it's really scary shit, but I, I can respect that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. And the rest of you look over, look that stuff over as well. And you know, like I said, pick out one or two of your companions and what kind of Sounds ties good. you together. Okay. I'm trying to pick up uh, some pointers because he's definitely fought things that are more interesting than just bandits. You can see it in his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm I uh I I think it I think it makes perfect sense for uh Key and I to always be on the lookout for uh uh something to pick up and uh pocket. Uh so I, I'm not opposed to uh any kind of uh plan that she might have uh for doing a little larceny. I think I think uh I think our professional interest in shiny might be that <laughs> uh, helps us to uh uh, be uh, chumly with one another. Joint ventures. I was thinking also, uh, Baldo is one of the few people on the ship who has heard of my name in uh, context of my amazing art skills, if I could describe them that way, which I do. Ooh, yeah. um, I was um, endeared to Baldo very quickly because no one else knows who I am and they should. Oh no! I, I, I'm imagining that you're going to get this scheme going where Baldo steals something and replaces it with a forgery. I mean, that's a good way to make money, <laughs> right? 
yeah, a forgery uh, that uh, that Key could manufacture so that uh, there would be no crime because no one would know that it was taken. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I can I can put my uh, not inconsiderable brain to work on a, on a scheme of such a nature. That's great. <laughs> and I want to even be that big of crime because whatever I made was clearly um, really good anyway. artwork. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I'm giving them a gift. <laughs> they should be thanking us for letting them have something that you made. Clearly. Anyway, uh, pride is definitely not a concern for Key. All right. And... Uh... Let's see. I think mine is going to be a little bit darker than theirs. For me, I've seen something that has Adonis's face and I'm hunting it. And I think the best way to find it is to stay close to them. Ooh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. But you're confident enough that it's not actually Adonis. Correct. So, so they don't need to be murdered. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, it's the thing that's going to murder me and use my face. That, that's the thing he's after. <laughs> okay. Do you tell me that you're looking for the thing that's going to be using my face? No, wearing my no, face? No, because do you know what one of my personality quirks is? I will <laughs> not share my burden with others. <laughs> I tell you nothing. I'm scared, dark, and broody, and standing around a lot. <laughs> this, this is a. This is Why clearly keep looking behind me. I'm really concerned. Generous in spirit. <laughs> All right. So very cool. So the. Uh, yeah. So so okay. Now, by any chance, did any of your characters wind up having proficiency with uh, water vehicles? No. No. Oh. Wait. Uh, it didn't I, I come didn't... up. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't I take Sailor, Megan? <clears throat> so I, I had a, I'll take Sailor. Um, I set up a uh, another handout. It's called Ships Officers, and the, the, the word officers is used pretty loosely here by right. our standards. <laughs> um, but it, it, uh, I, I added text from uh, one of the Watsi books, so don't sue me, guys, um, that, uh, that breaks down when I've decided to break out the actual ship rules which won't be immediately i don't think um but if you want to establish a particular role on the ship then you can sort of see what's the best fit and if you want to say you know um i've got a good wisdom and i know nature and uh maybe i'm even proficient with navigators tools then i'm going to be the quartermaster which in this case means um the navigator it's old navy old old sailing term for navigator as opposed to the way we usually use quartermaster these days but you can look at each of those um the ship already has a captain and uh but if one of you is charismatic and good with intimidation and persuasion then you could you could certainly uh volunteer to to be considered the first mate especially uh, if you know water vehicles um if you're strong and you have athletics and you know carpenter's tools then that's a great fit for the bosun if you're smart and you know you have medicine proficiency and uh, herbalism kits, those are all good ingredients for the ship surgeon. Uh, and if you have a good constitution and you know prof you have proficiency in brewer's tools and or cook's utensils, then that's a great fit for the ship cook. <laughs> the 
most important role in the ship? Well, you know, it's uh, everybody. Everybody disdains the cook until they start starving or dying of scurvy. It's all fun and games until uh, until we got to start picking weevils out of biscuits. So, like, oh, I mean, you're the first meal you mean. So you'll be glad to know I've re-rolled your characteristics, and you still got my language is as foul as an otiag nest. <laughs> you can't get away from it. <laughs> so being on the ship, like if you if your character if you don't really feel like you're a you're a fit for any of those key positions on the, in the ship's company, then uh, you know then you're a straight up sailor, right? So. If you're proficient with water vehicles, then you're a reliable sailor because they, you know what you're doing. And if you're not, then you're a sailor that the sailors who know what they're doing just says, go over there and haul on that. Okay. Well, unfortunately, that's going to be me. I'm just going to be, uh, I'm going to be a sailor, uh, it, really in name only, but uh, <laughs> a waster you will be. That's right. Exactly. If all sailors were able they wouldn't have to say they were. <laughs> I don't have a space on here to note my sneak attack damage, so I'm just going to have to remember it, I think. <laughs> I've got that listed under my uh, feet, so try to... Right, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't remember off the top of my head if there's something that'll activate that, uh, like a button you can press to activate that. You may need to just, uh, when it comes, you know, just sort of be alert, and when it comes up, then... I, you know, click the little dice roller for your additional D6 or whatever it is. Not a problem. All right. Um, and I got to change my hit dice. I think I do that in the things here. All right. Yes, I do. So uh, are there any, do any of you have any questions, any other like questions about the mechanics, you know, about the, the, the core of the game and how it, how it runs? Or things that might be surprising about it that you that you haven't. Well, I guess if it was surprising, you wouldn't know to ask about it, would you? <laughs> I'm feeling good. I uh, yeah. Compared to other versions of D and D, getting hit points back is pretty flexible. I mean, it certainly never hurts to have a cleric around, but the cleric's not necessarily obliged to always be casting cure wounds as their spell um, because. You can, uh, if your care, if you're, if you're, if at some point your character loses some hit points, you can take a, and your group decides to take a, a, a short, what's called a short rest, then you can spend hit dice. And at first level, you only have one hit die to spend, but what that means is you roll your hit die and, uh, pardon me, and add your constitution modifier and regain that many hit points up to your maximum. So as you advance in levels, you'll have more hit dice available to spend along the way, um, which, which kind of steps, sets in, steps, uh, uh, substitutes in for having to have the cleric constantly be healing everybody all the time. So how reasonable are keys rates for cure wounds? Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, cure wounds at first level is, yeah, you tell us, I think it's a, like a D eight plus your wisdom modifier, maybe, or, um, yeah, let's see. Oh no, I was just joking to see if she would charge for it. Oh, oh right for it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's very reasonable rates. In the immortal words of Rob Blagojevich, you don't just give that away. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, the previous gold uh, standard for how crooked can you be? <laughs> right. 
Um, and uh, other things. So um, getting your hit points. Oh, getting hit points back. The other thing is once you take a long rest, which is basically get a good night's sleep or something equivalent, then all your hit points come back. Right. So, and that's why I I tend to try to uh, role play losing hit points, not as getting hurt, but just sort of getting worn out, you know, and getting vulnerable. Unless you drop to zero, and in the normal rules as written, there's really no difference. Like if you drop to zero and then you get a good night's sleep, you're perfectly healthy again. Um, that's why I use the lingering injuries rules because I'm mean and I like players to get hurt. <laughs> Well, you got a psychic chest wound. God, just sleep it off. You're fine. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, but those, those, you know, the lingering injuries rules are—they're actually my favorite part of Dungeons and Dragons. I think it's a shame that that they treated them as optional. But that's just me. <laughs> well, you got to, you know, get in those uh, World of Warcraft players somehow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I grew up uh, when I was after after my initial few years playing basic D&D &D and then AD&D nonstop for about three years or four years, we discovered Call of Cthulhu and RuneQuest and I'll ruin and, you. Uh, yeah. yeah, 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 that changed everything. <laughs> right. I uh, yeah, I'm going to work on my stuff uh, when we're not uh, sucking up airtime, but um yeah, I feel like I got everything set up and ready to go. Um, I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be a lot of fun. I have not done this. Yeah, game ever. yeah it, I think it's going to be fun. And the I've had a I've had a really good time running these adventures um, that, that I'm gonna that I'm gonna run you through, and they get a good response. So I think you're gonna I think you're gonna have a have a good time, and maybe die horribly, but. Hopefully can't wait. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, there's always there's always another character sheet right around the corner. That's yep. right. Uh, yeah, so I would encourage you to put in your character's bio uh, field, biography fields on the sheet. The, the the ideas you came up with for what sort of bonds you've developed with the other adventurers, um, just to just to jog your memory in a couple of weeks when we get the first game going. And uh, and I updated all of those name generators so feel free if you want to use those to generate a name that suits your background and if you have any questions about the, the cultures or the locations or you know what it means to be a to be a dwarf in um in uh in this part of the world uh it's not covered by the notes i already put up there in about the broken empire then you know shoot an email and uh and we can we can hash it out or just make it up and put it on the sheet and we'll use it. <laughs> very good very good do you have uh do you have any kind of like um initial just even if it's like an introductory paragraph to the heart of iron and uh what's going on with that or do we need to do, do we just need to wait until the first session uh yeah i i, I believe so just one second so the uh as as introduction to where your what's what your character's lives are like right now you're uh the you're just starting off on the heart of iron in this it's uh going through a, a big storm in the sea of storms uh it's heading for an uh, an island that purportedly how is the site of a long forgotten long abandoned temple to the sea demon and uh, there are legends that an extinct people sacrificed wealth and their criminals and their own kings at that temple to quell the sea demon's wrath 
And all of that treasure is supposed to be still lying there waiting to be claimed. Although and... I'm really unhappy with you right now. <laughs> <laughs> but think of all the treasure. And, uh, and so you've, uh, you know, you've, you've, uh, Baldo, you heard, you uh, heard the rumor from a, uh, from, uh, from a traveler in the, the ship's last port of call traveler who said that they heard it from a, from a water spirit when they were in sight of the temple, um, but then were driven away from it before they could investigate for themselves. And, and you shared it with the, with the captain and your other crewmates. And then you went out and recruited more sailors to set out on the expedition. And here you are in the great storm heading for the, heading for the, the, for the chance to find the sea demon's gold. Tell me the captain's name again. He, uh, uh, Helia Lynn Harrian. All those extra sailors with their red tunics. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, okay. Any, any last questions and concerns, anything at all? This is great. Oh, sounds like it would be fun. Good. Yeah. Right. Looking forward to Thank it. you everybody. Yes. Yeah, everybody. Thank you so much for signing up. I, I think this is going to be a blast. Uh, it feels like everybody's getting along, you know, which is always good. You never know. And, uh, and uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. All right. Very good. Thank you, everybody. And Thank you. Good good night, everybody. An email and we'll see you soon. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye. This episode of Arc Dream Presents was recorded on Discord and Roll20. Special thanks to Mark Finn, Chris Spivey, Acer and Megan Tolentino, and Shane Ivey. Links to their work can be found in this episode's show notes. For more about the Swords and Sorcery series, visit swordsandsorceries.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Arc Dream Presents, be sure to subscribe and give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This episode's music is Five Armies by Kevin McLeod of Incomptech.com under Creative Commons. Visit filmmusic.io.